Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, and it's a a couple of selections. We'll begin with verse 1, and we're going to finish at the end of the chapter. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard him speaking in his own native language. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Luke, I know the church is looking up here and seeing two of us wonder why we have to have two preachers today um look this is this is the big day this this is the birthday of the church and one voice isn't enough and i know some of you are sitting out there wanting to know more about how birthday celebrations ever came to be right that's why you came this morning obviously to wonder so i i got on the google machine this week and uh i got a little like top seven of part of the history for for birthdays you know that Egyptians started the birthday party. Uh, it was started because the, of pharaohs, actually. And one of the earliest references we have in a, in a book is in the Bible uh, about a pharaoh's birthday around 3000 BC. And then Greeks added candles because of celebrating the goddess Artemis and wanted there to be candles to, to look like the glowing of the moon. Ancient Romans were the first to celebrate uh, birthdays for the common man. Like, uh, Man, not, but so here's the problem is they started that, but then women weren't added till the 12th century. So it wasn't any good. I, <laughs> Christians initially didn't celebrate birthdays because, uh, it had come from pagan rituals. But in the fourth century, uh, we began to celebrate Christmas and the birth of Christ. And so then we began to celebrate birthdays for all people as Christians. This is my personal favorite in the 18th century is when the birthday cake became uh. Uh, a part of our ritual. Uh, Kinderfest in Germany, a German bakery, uh, uh, started making that a common place and practice. 
Uh, and then in the Industrial Revolution is when this became a thing for everybody. And actually cakes got sweeter. Before then they were made more and sweetened with honey. And then afterwards we started adding sugar, which mm. again, I, my two favorites on the top list. And then last but not least, uh, in 1893, two uh, school teachers, um, Patty Hill and Mildred Hill in the Midwest, uh, would sing a song to their students as they came in called Good Morning to All which is where we get the tune for happy birthday to you. And uh, the words were changed to happy birthday to you in 1924. So now that you've been armed with that, you can win a trivia uh, game at some point this week. Uh, But there's just some fun facts about birthdays. Birthdays have been around for a long time. We've been celebrating them in lots of different ways. And I'm at the point in the journey that I'm having mixed feelings about birthdays. (laughs) (laughs) You know how as Christians, we often give up something for Lent. So a couple of years ago, I told my family that I was giving up for Lent. There would be no more celebrations of my birthday. Okay, <laughs> I wasn't going to keep adding those years. But I got to admit, I'm still into birthday celebrations. I have three grown children, 12 grandchildren. We're having birthday celebrations all the time. It's like a year-round process it, for it, y'all. <laughs> it is. Um, and, and I love those celebrations because it takes me as a father and grandfather back to that mysterious, miraculous beginning moment when we came into the world, all of us. And I often say this prayer, I have a birthday prayer. They always ask me to do it. And I say, dear God, thank you that out of the unborn, the not yet, the uncreated, this child, this little one has come into being. Um, it is a miracle, isn't it? You know, Martin Buber, Jewish theologian, philosopher said, because each person, and we've celebrated this today for James Isaac, because each person is so unique, another first one enters the world when a child is born. I love that, another first one. And why are we talking about birthdays? Because there's a birthing going on here in the book of Acts, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this birthing as we began to look at it this week and we thought about the unborn, the not yet, the uncreated, and the first, it, it reminded us of the creation story. Uh, it reminded us that our story is a part of a story that's bigger than ourselves, that is a story that is an ongoing of rebirthing and recreating and renewing. And uh, it reminded me specifically of a, a poem that James Weldon Johnson wrote where, where James Weldon Johnson took the creation story and rewrote it in his own words. And at the end, he has a passage and it goes like this. And he says, This great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust and toiled over a lump of clay, and he shaped it in his own image, and then blew into that clay the breath of life, and a humanity became a living soul. We think that Pentecost, this birthday, is another opportunity for God to kneel down above us and above creation and above the church and to breathe in once again that breath of life, recreating and renewing and rebirthing. So here we have this little room in Jerusalem. This is where it all started. This is where our story started. It was an unformed, uh, unborn lump of human clay. I mean, think about it. These folks, they had no religious headquarters. They had no um, five-year plan. The only plan they had was how can we get out of town without being arrested, without losing our lives. And now we have the Spirit of God moving across the waters again. 
bending over into that room, into that lump of humanity, and comes the breath of something new. It's called us, <laughs> you know, the church. And when we think about that, we still have to be honest about the world we live in today. And there's this unborn, not yet uncreated, but yet at the same time, we live in a world where 40% of Americans are non-religious. They have no religious affiliation, while 80, 60, 80% of Americans say they are spiritual. And the question that came to us as we were thinking about it, like, we celebrate this year after year after year, but the question is, why bother? Why bother? Yeah. And as ministers, we hear that question. Um, we hear people tell us why they're not going to bother with church and with what we're celebrating today. One thing I've heard through the years is, look, um, I'm, I, I believe I, I believe in Jesus, but don't ask me to belong. You know, I, I can do the kind of me and Jesus thing, the Lone Ranger uh, kind of Christian. You know, I've, I've heard people say, I can do it on the golf course, Rob. I can do it on the trout stream. Yes, you can know God there and you can know Jesus there. However, Paul Turnier said something really interesting. <laughs> this is great. Hold on to this. He said there are two things in life you can't do alone. One is to be married. The other is being a Christian. Now, just think about that. Jesus' movement from the very beginning, even before Pentecost, he made it pretty clear he wasn't going to save the world alone. We were going to be in it together. He got around him a group of people that became like branches of the vine. Um, it's here in our life together. Whether people want to accept it or not, this is where we're confirmed. This is where we're tested. This is where we're saved. This is where we're redeemed in our life together. Yeah, and don't misunderstand this. Both of us, like, I mean, Wilderness Trail for you outside, I mean, has been meant so much to our spiritual lives. And, and Jesus didn't do this alone. We don't do this alone. This is a process that happens in community. It's a process that happens when we are with each other becoming like Christ. So last night was interesting. We asked the Saturday night congregation, we said, what's the number one reason people would say, I don't want to bother with the church? What do you think they said? What word came to their mind? Not everybody at I, once. I saw somebody. Hypocr Hip hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we are known. Uh, people say, I look at the church and says one thing and then does another. Or it seems to be. Yeah. Hypocrisy is the number one thing that people say they don't participate in church for. And I think we have got ourselves into that place because maybe we haven't been outwardly enough confessional about who we are. Mm -hmm. I think some people out there think that Christians are a bunch of folks walking around swaggering, saying we're different than, other than, better than others. And that really never, that never has been our claim. I mean, every time we come here to the table, we say, you know, we haven't loved our neighbors like Jesus did. We, we've forgotten the cry of the knee. We confess that, that we haven't lived up to the sky of uh, our intentions. And I think when we're not a confessional church, then our hypocrisy is a lot worse. It really well, and when we're not a relational church, right? So when we, uh, when folks who are not in the church or in the outside say, well, you're a bunch of hypocrites, um, what I've found out is that people that know me know that I'm not perfect. <laughs> and they also know that I'm willing to say I'm sorry. 
that I'm willing to confess. Augustine said, uh, my confession is not necessarily made with my words and my tongues, but with the words of my soul. Confession becomes a part of who we are and how we live our lives, recognizing that at times we have been complicit and complacent and participated in that which is not right. But we also are rebirthed and renewed by a Christ that loves us in spite of ourselves. I had a friend some years ago, and we, he was really having a lot, little fun with me, but he said, uh, Rob, please don't ever ask me to, to come and join your bunch of hypocrites. And I said, oh, really? I, I just thought you should come and add your name to the list. <laughs> um, it's like, if you go over to Mission Hospital, yeah. you're not going to ask them to say they're embarrassed about their collection of sick people. And I would say to the world, don't ask us to be embarrassed about our collection of sinners here. That's, we've always said that. We're, we're imperfect, trying to change the world imperfectly, but we have never said we have parked our humanity at the door. Was it Eugene Peterson said, it's bad enough that all y'all out there are a bunch of sinners, but the folks up here leading are too, and that we all are in that together. But we also have a history. Yeah. I mean, you're a history major, and, and history is such a... But we also have a history that, that we are confessing for and have to acknowledge and recognize. I mean, talk about some of the, the lists that we talked about this week. Yeah, it's, a, it's quite a historic list of visible sins we have as the church. Um, the Crusades, the Inquisition, the religious wars of the 15th and 16th century, the anti-Semitism, the persecution of witches and slavery, the oppression of women, opposition to science, um, the uh, rejection of accepting people of different sexual identifications. Um, that's part of our history. That's part of our litany. And part of our role in recognizing this history that we have is saying that we don't have all the answers. But we have to be honest about who we are and where we've been and where we've been complicit and then honest about ways that we're willing to stand up for the justice and hope and peace of Christ that's in the world. So you're wondering, where's the good news? I mean, we <laughs> this, gave We, we gave started all, with birthdays and it went really uh, south fast, I, sorry. I, it makes you think we ought to blow the candles out and go home and say the party's over. <laughs> this was great, thanks. <laughs> but here, here's what gives me reason to celebrate. It's the very scripture you heard this morning. It takes me back to how we got started. Mm. It takes me back to our holy beginning that is our beginning again and again. If you listen real carefully to that story, what you're going to get a hint of, the church was not started by us, by a group of people. It wasn't some people got together in a room and said, let's start something, a new organization, let's call it church. Or let's perpetuate the memory of Jesus and call it the Jesus Society. These people weren't getting ready to start anything. The church is of God. The very Spirit mm. of God came in there to that room and brought forth something out of nothing that, that hadn't been there before. It, it makes me wonder about how each day we have an opportunity to participate in the way the Spirit is moving in the world. That the Spirit continually I think that's why we celebrate Pentecost every year is to be reminded of this, to be reminded that there's this birthing that continues to happen. And it's not easy, but it's important. And it's for each of us. 
I, I love the words of J.T. Powers. He was something of a Christian realist. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, the church, he said, she's like a big old ship. She creaks, she rocks, she rolls. Sometimes she makes you want to throw up. <laughs> but she keeps moving. Mm. She always has and always will with or without us. Ooh. Maybe we're living today because another is still living in us. That could be the real hope of Pentecost. Well, and part of the Pentecost idea is that, um, well, Teresa of Avila said it this way, it's that God continually chooses us to be the hands and feet. So Avila says, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Your eyes are the, yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion is to look on the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which God is to bless people now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the church keeps on going, but God continually chooses you, us, to be the vehicle through which God blesses the world. So what makes you choose to keep being church? Man, I, it's moments like this with James Isaac today. I mean, I, this, this, for me, the sacraments are just so important. They they stand outside of time. They can't be controlled by humanity. Uh, no matter how we try to, to do that, we, it's bigger than us. And then I think about the table. Um, I think about the table that Christ instituted in communion, the Lord's table. And, you know, it's a table where you keep adding chairs. You, you're trying to find more extensions. You can't figure out where you're going to sit everybody, but you know there's enough space. Hmm. When I think about the hope that is the church, it's that, that we continually have a table where Christ invites all people over and over and over again yeah. to experience God's love. I was thinking this week about all the different churches I've been a part of, and no church near as long as I've been a part of it here at Central, almost 20 years. And I think the thing that keeps me going is for all that we get wrong at times, I just find when we gather around the reality of Jesus that... Um, his light keeps shining through. And I see that. I've been able to see it. Um, people being born again. Um, somebody picking up a cross for somebody else's sake. I've seen people going the second mile and turning the other cheek and sometimes even forgiving their enemies. I've seen people in this church empty their pockets for somebody else's children. I, I keep seeing the best of the Jesus spirit shine through and that's what makes me think there is one that still lives in mm-hmm. us i you know i think that fits so into the last few verses you know we we read the historical kind of pentecost story and then we skipped down to verse 43 today as lisa read and um i wonder if i might read that and then just kind of have us talk about that just a little bit so this is in verse 43 again it says all came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles all who believed were together and all, had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Hmm. I wonder if you just might riff on that a little bit, reflect a little bit. What, when you hear that, what speaks to you today on this Pentecost Sunday? 
I wonder if we accepted that as our manual. You just heard this. This isn't a 400-page document. <laughs> you know, this is one paragraph. Did you hear it? Just breaking bread together, taking care of one another, uh, worshiping, praising God, and then this last part, working for the goodwill of all people. I mean, if this, if we continue to commit ourselves, we say these are our marching orders right here. I mean, it's right there in front of us. And I really believe this. After years of being in the church, I think we're at our best when we're not trying to convert people. We're at our best when we're a blessing machine that often does convert people. We're at our best when we join with Jesus and loving the world as God loved the world and we become a blessing machine. So, Rob Bell in one of his books says that Pentecost is like Sinai over and again, only this time God isn't taking up residence in a tabernacle or on a mountain or in a set of words. God is dwelling in people. When I read this passage, when I see this paragraph, I'm reminded that something so simple can feel so hard. It's so simple as the goodwill of all people, having glad and generous hearts, breaking bread, at times can seem so, man, how, how do I find time for that? Well, that's really not who I am, or I, I don't, but then I'm reminded, and I think the reason we come back to this rebirthing story again this birthday is because God dwells in us. We're not doing it alone. We do it in community, and there's a power which, was, which is within us, has the possibility to be, that gives us the strength to, to be yeah. the church. And think about that. Let's go back to that little group of people, that scene we cast for you. They're sitting there um, confused and bewildered. Um, now picture that little group. And then over against that, think that those folks at that time lived under the thumb of Rome. Caesar Augustus, mighty Colossus, one foot on sea, one foot on land. The whole Mediterranean world was his. Pax Romana, 250,000 miles of roads. Now which one of those movements? Put them side by side. Which one of those movements would you put your money on? Two thousand years later, look what movement is still around, huh? Mm. Igor Stravinsky, uh, composer, composed a piece for a uh, violin, and uh, he composed it and, and handed it out to several soloists and asked them to practice. And this one soloist practiced it and. And he came back to Stravinsky a few weeks later and said, there is no way in the world I can play this. It is way too hard. And Stravinsky says, you know, that's okay. What I was hoping for was the sound of someone trying to play the music. I wonder how we're trying to play the music. Well, you started the music metaphor. I'm going to stay on that train. Um, I have a friend, Earl Palmer, and 
he talked about one night having to go hear one of his grandchildren play in the Milipatas Senior High School Symphony. Now, I had a lot of empathy with him. I, I thought that I had gotten beyond all these uh, music recitals and things with three children. Now with 12 grandchildren, I'm back on the tour. What'd you do last Saturday, Rob? Uh, last Saturday, <laughs> three and a half hours of dance recitals. I've, I've heard every tap song and every little jazz number they're just all a whirl there but so I I, I I could commiserate with my friend Earl he goes to Millipedus Senior High Symphony and he walks in and he opens the program and it says Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and he closes it and he says oh my goodness he can just picture old Ludwig rolling in the grave thinking about these senior high kids and their little symphony playing his symphony. And then he thought about these poor senior high kids and the burden they must have felt for trying to play a piece that was way out in front of them. But he said he listened to it. And as he went through that evening, he said a couple of times it actually sounded a little bit like Beethoven. <laughs> but then he had this reflection at the end. He said, I looked around this this high school auditorium and I realized that for a lot of people there that was the only experience of Beethoven's Ninth they would ever have if these kids hadn't tried to play it that message hadn't, would not have been heard friends that's our call I mean as much as we try we'll probably never completely play it like our God, our composer has written it, but just think of it this way. Um, this is the only way the people around us here in Asheville are going to hear the glad sounds of the gospel. You know? And so friends, out of the unborn, the not yet, the uncreated, God, like a mammy, bends down over the clay and toils in the dust and breathes once again even this day a breath of life into the church, into your lives, into my life, into our lives, so that, so that we might share the gospel of love, a good thing for all people in the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.